of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is the uh, the the last episode of the year. I'm worn out. You can probably tell by my voice. This will be episode 283. Um, Jason Lingren is with me, and we're going to try if we can keep at this kind of dead run pace. We're going to try to deliver a few more just Jason and I episodes, me and Jason, in January. We'll see how it turns out. Because when we do that, it's a hell of a lot more work. Uh, we have to write everything. And we were used to doing that at one point, but we were only delivering half the episodes. So this one's going to deal with a critically, critically important idea. And let me preface everything we're going to say. And I'll tell you the truth here. And I don't have a dog in this fight, to be honest with you. I'm offering a point of view. If it's not for you, that's your choice. But if the things we say here, make you upset, then you should immediately stop and look inside and say, why is it upsetting me? The truth is you will become upset if you're attached to ideas that deep inside somewhere, maybe you could call it your subconscious, knows better, that you're buying into a thing that you feel the need to defend. True things need no defense. And that's a big part of how, wait for it, politics. Politics work that way. But anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning. Well, I think we're into the afternoon now. So will it be Pepsi or will it be Coke? <laughs> Those are the only two choices in the world. And by the way, if you drink Pepsi, you don't drink Coke, vice versa. You know, there's there's the game we play. Um, even, even the color scheme goes across that construct, doesn't it? But everybody eats the popcorn. Yeah, you'll see. Uh, there, we're, I'm going to do my best here to cross over, even in the opening crap we get from Mr. Edward Bernays sauce, who may have done more damage to the United States than anyone else we've looked at. Hard to know, but he's certainly up there in the top few of people who have just wholesale taken apart the idea of a human being with the divine spark and tried to crunch it down into something shameful, which has worked quite, quite well for a while now. But we are coming into the new age, and now we're going to all have to lift up. And it sucks that we got to do it, but I'm sorry, man. There's a pile of boulders over in the corner of the yard. Everyone grab one. We got to move these boulders. That's just the, the way it is right now. Uh, nobody wants to do it, but unfortunately, everyone has to do it. But you got anything to add before we jump into all these ideas? Well, as you said, yes, I'm going to start things off with a very important quote from Mr. Edward Bernays, because indeed, I don't think anyone shaped things any one individual shaped things as much as he did. No, I, I don't think so. And when you run back who he's the double nephew of, um, there there is the crux of the people who began to realize they could hack the human mind in the in the modern era. Probably, you know, from my point of view, this kind of tug of war with dark versus light, I think it goes on the whole entire time human beings are anywhere. I just think that we happen to be living in a time where dark's making its run. But if we look back through time, we can be reasonably sure that dark hasn't won out, or at least not often enough that we're aware of it. Just for this period of time, we think we can see and where we are right now. And that's another thing I think we should keep in mind. Um, but let's just let's just jump in here, Jason. There's no sugarcoat in what we're about to do. And I'll bluntly say, if you are stuck in the red-blue paradigm right now, your mind is not your own. And I'm not trying to be rude here. I'm trying to help a brother or a sister out. You are freaking hypnotized, and the ideas you are defending are not your ideas. And to put a fine point on it, 
you are a human being with the divine spark and every possibility that a human mind could possibly deduce or come up with is at your disposal, not just the two on offer here. So let's go, Jason. From the book, Crystallizing Public Opinion by Edward Bernays, Chapter 1, which is entitled Organizing Chaos. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested largely by men that we have never heard of. Our invisible governors are, in many cases, unaware of the identity of their fellow members in the inner cabinet. So, I mean, this is as blunt as it gets, and one would almost have to wonder, how do these words get published in a public arena, and you know, how, how come so much more hasn't been made of it? Well, I think that the easy answer, whether it's right or not, is we've been asleep. We've been asleep at the switch. Because partially materialism, uh, where we live in my part of the world, because we have all these cool things. We had the best cars first. We had the refrigerator first. We had all these things which made life easier and easier and easier. Um, That's part of it. But let's look at the language here. And you better damn well understand that when you're talking about Bernays or anything political, words have meaning. And I'm going to endeavor in this first paragraph to demonstrate that. What's going on here in the naming of Bernays' book here, um, Crystallizing Public Opinion, he's using alchemy. He's using natural science ideas. And you know this is true from the word crystallizing. Go look up the word crystallizing. Go look what it means for something to go through crystallization, and you will understand what they've done. Now, it's not easy the first time you look at this, but what's basically going on is they're saying we've got this massive humanity which is unformed and a mishmash, you know, it's nothing we can wrap our arms around. How do we crystallize it? So they used nature, where there is no lie, as their example, and then turned around and misused what nature taught them against the human mind. Now let's take a little further. How do we know that they're misusing it? What's the first words out of the concise wording of this paragraph? Organizing chaos. Anyone ever heard of that before? Getting order out of chaos? Basically, the entirety of our commerce system in one way, shape, or form or another is based on this idea. Now, as we go down, uh, they point out that public opinion matters. And so what does that tell us all if we break free of these things? A A human mind can think of so many things that it's almost unlimited, the things we could come up with. But what we're gonna latch onto is exactly what he says here. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes are formed, our ideas, hint, 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 are suggested largely by men that we have never heard of, will never meet, blah, 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 blah. You can break the spell. It's not that difficult. Just comprehend what's happened and be conscious. I'm a human being. I don't need anyone to give me ideas. I've got my own ideas. And by the way, my idea of right and wrong may not be identical to the person next to me. But if they are decent human beings, chances are the idea of right from both of them will not be far off each other. But that's not really the point. The point is 
look deeply. Do you think your own thoughts or did somebody put a menu in front of you with two options and tell you those are the only two things you can eat in the world? Which one of those things is going on here? Now, the other thing I'd like to point out is for those of you who think America didn't really start to fall until the 50s and 60s and all that, this book, Crystallizing Public Opinion, was published in 1923. Bernays' second book, Propaganda, was published in 1928. So, the Great Depression hadn't even happened yet, and he's blatantly pointing out how much everyone is being manipulated. It's almost like marketing at that period was so kind of far away from the average mind. No TV per se, radio was much different. The idea of billboards, everything was much different. So maybe they didn't take it seriously, but you're making a valid point. We're looking at a long train running, which is what we've said. The, the tee-up for 2020, longer than we've been alive, longer than my grandparents have been alive, probably hundreds of years in the tee-up for 2020. All right, so let's get a few simple things out of the way. What actually is a political party? And they are organized groups of people who have the same ideology or who otherwise have the same political positions and who field candidates for elections in an attempt to get them elected and thereby implement their agenda. Political parties are a defining element of representative democracy. And any of these definitions and things like that that I'm going to give to you, I took these from mainstream sources, from political websites and things like that. So these are the definitions that they work from. So I would like to just use red and blue as the examples, but I know from my own personal experience that when I first had to face down what I politically believed, I got mad. It hurt me because I'd been protecting these ideas and buying into them for so long that I literally had to drag it out back and shoot it in the head, and it was painful. So let's just look at the idea of political parties for one second. You got your little logo, don't you? You got your little donkey, you got your little elephant, those symbols, those emblems, those powerful things that are going to be imbued with basically spells, but for the sake of conversation, intent. But more importantly, there's color. Color is frequency. Everything in our world is frequency. I would urge everyone to go online or go get the book that outlines the branding of the Russian Communist Party, you know, the hammer and sickle in red, there has been endless just dynamite work done to show how they branded the idea of what Russia was at that point. The working man, that red, that hammer and sickle, and all the artwork that went with it. It is no damn different than our Republican and Democratic parties. And I will echo back to the episode on color Jason and I did. On the one hand, you have blue. And it's a very pure blue. And on the other hand, you have red. It's a very pure red. Does everyone remember what we said about the frequency and what these, it's not what you accept they mean. It is what they mean. It's what nature recognizes as their influence in this reality. On the one hand, blue is typically female, feminine, and it is magnetic or electromagnetic, and it is negative in polarity. Now think back to all the baby reveals. Why the hell are all the boys blue? Nature tells you flat out that that's not right. The, the boys should be red or some semblance of red, which on the other hand, we have that very pure red. That is electric. That is masculine. That is positive on the polarity scale, at least on the plane we're on. When you go up a little bit, those two things reverse. This is the ancient archetype and truth 
from nature that is embedded in every living being that is being brought to bear here. And we've become so kind of blind to it because, I mean, how could you, how could you be anything but blind to it? You, you buy a, a product and it's a color. You, you see a sign, it's a color. You, get, you, know, you see where I'm going here. In the world, if we need a baseline to think about things that we can accept are true, the way that I choose to do it is by nature. I make nature my baseline as, as close to perfection as I can get in this creation. So let's go back for one second quickly to the color idea. Where do red and blue reside on the color wheel? All right. Go look. Physically go look if you need to. Are those complementary colors? Would you see somebody put on, you know, red and blue as a color coordinated outfit or something like that? Think about what the colors actually mean and how they're actually used. But I will reiterate one more time. If you were to make a gradient from blue on the left to red on the right, what would that color be where they meet in the middle? That'd be purple, wouldn't it? I mean, in the real way we use color, not the digital way. Um, in the real world, where real color is mixed in the way I'm explaining, you will get purple. That's what nature would show you. That is the color of mastery, right? It's a little feminine, a little masculine. But these are the things you can use to begin to dissect. Anyhow, we kind of lost the thread there, Jason, but I think we're on to the next bullet point here. Yes, let's start going through what the role of political parties are. The first one running candidates for political office. Parties select candidates for many elected positions in American politics. All right, let's just be blunt to the point. You can verify the things I'm going to say. And for the people who are very invested in politics in our world right now, there's going to be some pain. But what did I tell you at the outset? If you get upset or you're feeling it, look inside. Why is that? What are you defending? Truth needs no defense. A political candidate in the big offices in our country, we've never chosen one of them um, for the most part, even when it appeared we did. And I'll use the example of Barack Osama, Obama, Yo Mama, uh, that actor. Um, I can remember distinctly the first time I ever saw him way, way back uh, in the news. And what they said is, here's a promising young man. He might be president someday. How in the hell could you possibly pick one person? out of that big old powerhouse that we call Washington, D.C., when he first shows up and make the call that this guy could be president. You can see what's going on here. This is a stacked deck. And as I've said many times, you do not vote for the highest offices of this land. You have never voted. You have been polled for president. What seats a president is the Electoral College, as I have said oh so often. The state of Rhode Island, one of the 13 original colonies, showed up when they were setting up the Electoral College, said, what the hell are you doing? This is an illegal backdoor to power, so the same people who have always held power can continue. We will take no part of it. They walk out. You can look it up. You can verify it. State of Rhode Island bails and says, we'll take no part of this fraud. And yet we still ended up with the political or the uh, electoral college and everybody knows, you know, then, then we have our election and, and all the, you know, madness ensues. Who's president? We don't know. Come on. Couple hundred votes, actually just short of 300. How hard is that to count? It's all a put up and it's all a backdoor power rig. And you can verify everything I'm telling you. Simply go look up the electoral college and how it works and who gets put there, and how it's been used, and how many presidents have been sat against the supposed popular vote. But again, there is no vote. You are polled. Next, 
Checking the other party. A party that does not hold the majority in Congress often keeps the party in power from taking complete control. Party leaders can publicly criticize actions of a president who was elected by the opposite party. So here's the proof in the pudding of what Bernays was saying. And by the way, shortly here, we're going to get to a speech from the governor of the Central Bank of England, which is verbatim what they intended to do with political parties. You don't have to think. He says it in plain English. What's going on here is they use the political idea to pretty much divide the country almost evenly or as close as they can get, which means whenever there's a majority, one side is doing things that the other side have been programmed into hating, thereby creating the endless loop, the endless fight, that the never resolving, what's the old, what's the old saying I'm looking for? Divide and conquer. There it is. Constant division that never resolves itself. Divided for good, conquered for good. There it is. Informing the public. I think this one's funny. Parties take stands on issues and criticize the points of view of the other parties. Their well-publicized discussions help to inform citizens about important issues and present alternative ways of solving societal problems. Sure they <laughs> yep. do. Yeah, they've been working hard. How did 2020 get here? Well, it sure as hell was not from solving societal problems. And you can see all of their great results. In my lifetime, we've done nothing but go downhill. Um, and we started the power fall in the 70s when we came away from the gold standard and we privatized health care. Those were two of the really big things which began to shape how we've arrived where we are now. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, how many parties are there? How many wings are on that eagle? <laughs> They're all on your mind. There's a left wing and a right wing, right? You can get another party. The only problem is, is that party will never be taken serious or be funded because they are not of the left wing or the right wing of the construct that's been formed for absolute control of a massive population. Think back to what was it? The 80s, I'm guessing. Uh, Ross Perot, I think it was the 80s. Uh, here comes the third. Finally, in America, we're going to have a third party. And there were people in San Diego everywhere. I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. Whole mall parking lots for Ross Perot. And what happened in the end? Well, I guess someone threatened his daughter's wedding or something, and he had to drop out. It's a clown show. And by the way, go look at Mr. Perot's involvement in the Iranian hostage nonsense. This is a shell game. It's controlled from the top to the bottom. It has always been controlled from the top to the bottom. And if you participate in this thing we call politics— your mind is not your own, and the people you're invested in had nothing to do with what you would choose in a natural world where you meet people or admire people or anything normal that could go on. It's a stacked deck. And the last one, organizing the government. Congress and the state legislatures are organized according to party affiliations. Legislative representatives usually support their party's position when considering potential laws and policies, and most votes fall roughly along party lines. Virtually all candidates run for public office with party labels that are supposed to define their behavior after they win. So let me unmince what was just said here. At no time do they make decisions based on the welfare of the people supposedly being governed. This is about what your party will allow. This is about there's only two things to eat in the world. What do you want? You want chicken or turkey. There's no other option in the world. What will you have? And if you order the chicken, you're not allowed to eat the turkey. That's what this is.
plain and simple, and anyone can work this out. Shouldn't actual legitimate governing be done for what is best for the majority of those being governed at the very least? I'm just asking. Okay, Montague Norman, governor of the Bank of England, addressing the United States Bankers Association, New York City, in 1924, a year after Bernays published, crystallizing public opinion, mind you. There it is. Capital must protect itself in every possible way, both by combination and legislation. Debts must be collected. Mortgages foreclosed as rapidly as possible. When, through process of law, the common people lose their homes, they will become more docile and more easily governed through the strong arm of the government applied by a central power of wealth under leading financiers. These truths are well known among our principal men, who are now engaged in forming an imperialism to govern the world. By dividing the voter through the political party system, we can get them to expend their energies in fighting for questions of no importance. It is thus, by discreet action, we can secure for ourselves that which has been so well planned and so successfully accomplished. Again, folks, 1924. Can we just end the episode now, Jason? If there is an adult human being listening to this, you have just been told everything you will ever need to know about politics. But I'll expound. How about that? Who the hell is Montague Norman? Montague Norman is the governor of the Central Bank of England, which will be the model that is used or replicated to create the Central Bank of the United States. In this unminced, plain English speech that he gave to all the bankers of the United States in 1924, he told you that the bankers are king and we will abuse the people using legislation and the so-called government, which will make them docile. By the way, we've created political parties, left and right, red and blue, Democrat and Republican. We can get them, and I quote, to expend their energies in fighting for questions of no importance. It is thus, by discreet action, we can secure for ourselves, them being the bankers, that which has been so well planned and so successfully accomplished. If you can't possibly put together what we have just read to you and you remain locked in the red-blue black magic spell, it's going to take you some period of time to wake the hell up or maybe you won't in this lifetime. Do you understand what was just communicated here? Do you understand? And if you don't think we got it right, look it up. Montague Norman speech, 1924. He's speaking to the United States Bankers Association in New York City. Look it up. And there's more to it, by the way. That's just the really juicy bit that we pulled out. That's where the meat butts up against the potatoes. Okay, so the following are three reasons that are pushed as to why a two-party system is oh so good. Consensus of values. It is easy to complain about petty bickering between Democrats and Republicans. What we sometimes forget is that Americans share a broad consensus or agreement of many basic political values. Both parties believe in liberty, equality, and individualism. <laughs> Neither advocates that the Constitution be discarded. 
Both parties accept the election process and concede defeat to the winners. In many countries with multi-party systems, the range of beliefs is greater and disagreements run deeper. I could see this was written before 2020. <laughs> yeah, and in other words, in other places, it's, they're not as easy to control because <laughs> they haven't been stuffed in their little colored boxes that we can shuffle around. Um, but come on, man. Uh, both parties believe in liberty. Does anyone know what liberty is? Liberty is not freedom. The Statue of Liberty is a poke in your eye. For anyone who served in the military, you know what liberty is. It means your commanding officer looks at you or tells someone to tell you, you've got liberty for the next 72 hours, and by the way, we can call you back at any moment. You're still on duty. That's what liberty is. Equality, my butt, do we have to go there? And individualism. Well, if individualism was the thing, we wouldn't only have two parties because individuals would think of almost an infinite number of ideas. And by the way, neither of these magical left-wing, right-wing, hint, 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 parties, go look at your eagle, want the Constitution to be discarded. No, they're going to use that document. It's just that in 1933, they're going to do some more clever stuff on paper that ensures that you have been classified in such a way that the Constitution no longer applies to you in the way that we all think it does. So here we are, man, in the age behind us of I believe things, in the age in front of us of I can know things, and here comes the knowing. Historical influence. The nation began with two political parties, the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans. During early American history, politicians tended to take sides, starting with the debate over the Constitution and continuing with the disagreements between two of George Washington's cabinet members, Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson. The tendency has persisted throughout American history. I, I would suggest that's not only persisted, it's uh, been constructed. Well, what's persisted is the illusion, the lie, the nonsense. Uh, Jason, do you recall who the first president of the United States is? No, actually, I don't because there were 14 before George Washington with the that's Articles right. of Confederation. But no, I can't remember his name. There you go. There you go. If I would have asked 90% of the people listening who was the first president, they would have said George Washington. Some places want to say there were nine. The places I tend to accept and Jason tends to accept say there are as many as 14 presidents before Mr. George Washington. There is also a litany of work of which I have not had time to scrutinize in any meaningful way, but it would not surprise me that make the claim that George Washington is none other than King George. Are these things true? I don't know. But why would they tell this lie? I, I remember way back seeing some clip on Prince just finding out that George Washington wasn't the first president. And he's like stunned. Why would they lie? I'll tell you why they'd lie. Because the entirety of this system is about one thing, government. They even tell you to your face. This is about government. Let's break it down. To govern is to control. M-E-N-T is always mind. So what this is about is the control of your mind. That's it. That is the whole game. And by the way, Mr. Downard can be quoted as saying something to effect that the highest power one can achieve in this world is the control over the minds of men. And it goes on to say things like riches and stardom are just so much hay and ash or something like that heaped on nothingness. Um, these are true words. These are factual words. And I will ask one more time, how can it be that there were so many presidents before George Washington and you never heard of one of them? Well, I'll tell you why. 
because those individuals, whoever they may have been, didn't fit the bill, weren't going to make it onto our currency and be one of the dead presidents in our death-based system on the $1 bill, right? That should be somebody else, but it's not. What more do you need to know about our system? This is the beginning that we're talking about here, or at least the beginning they want us to accept. The winner-take-all system. The single most important reason for a two-party system is the winner-take-all electoral system. In contrast to systems with proportional representation, the winner in American elections is the one who receives the largest number of votes. The winner does not need to have more than 50%, but only one vote more than his or her opponents. If a third party receives 15% of the vote for every contested Senate seat, that party wins zero seats in the United States Senate. Consequently, one of the two major parties almost always wins a plurality, and third parties are completely shut out of national offices. Oh, so clever. Whoever made this game board was very careful with the rules, were they not? Uh, statistically, they know how it's going to work out. It's no different than Vegas. Vegas knows uh, this many people come in for this much time, we win every time without fail. Law of large numbers, wisdom of the crowd. This goes far beyond that, and it's based on knowing that goes, I don't know how far back in time, but let's take a look for a second. How many people became aware in the last so-called election, which it is not, that certain states would dole out electoral college votes as they were supposedly acquired from the vote and other states was whoever had the most got them all. This again is the rule book being stacked to ensure that a third party or a outcome in the way they would like to see it never occurs. And how is it so weird that we have all these states, 50 dang states, and yet we can go to Ohio, the rules are one way and another way and another way. This goes all the way back to the original idea that the states had some form of autonomy. Um, but we're not going to go down that road for now. Suffice it to say, this system was so carefully planned, and it was planned for a left wing of the eagle and a right wing of the eagle. And by the way, that eagle goes all the way back to Rome, just like everything else in our existence. The concept of a two-party political system has existed in the United States from pretty much the beginning. Today, of course, we have the Republicans and the Democrats. While other parties do exist, they have little to do with the monstrous machine of national politics, although they have at times had some of their representatives elected to smaller positions, usually on a local level. The main parties are represented by their respective animals and colors, as well as references to being on the right or the left. This helps with the typical divide-and-conquer tactics, since quite often a person's political affiliations are worn as a badge of honor, long before they even utter a word. I honor and will defend these ideas that are not my own, and do I need to point out that this is verbatim the use of natural sciences, or what we currently call alchemy, where the left and the right, these are big, big ideas. This is about polarity, masculinity, femininity, archetypes that are undeniable in the natural world. The political parties, I guess we should point out at this point, are corporations. So let's ask the question, who does a corporation serve? Can anyone tell me who a corporation serves? And by the way, as I've thought about this over the last half a year or more, I've refined my understanding of who they serve. Typically, a corporation serves a couple of entities called the board of directors and the shareholders, right? But this is all the more devious because corporation is based around money. 
the fiat currency that we use, and that's controlled by the central bank. So the question could be asked, do the people who actually control this even need to be on the boards? And at this point, I would say no. They control the money, which means they control everything else in a commerce-based system. But even if we were to remove the central bankers who are at the top of this pyramid, which we cannot do, we would be left with the truth that a corporation does not serve the customer. Corporation serves the elected board or the officers and the shareholders. So there's that to consider. At no time can you make the argument uh, that a corporate government, which is what we have, is serving the so-called people. Political factions or parties began to form during the struggle over ratification of the federal constitution of 1787. Friction between them increased as attention shifted from the creation of a new federal government to the question of how powerful that federal government should be. The Federalists, led by Secretary of Treasury Alexander Hamilton, wanted a strong central government, while the Anti-Federalists, led by Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson, advocated states' rights instead of centralized power. Federalists coalesced around the commercial sector of the country, while their opponents drew their strength from those favoring an agrarian society. George Washington had his own thoughts on political parties. I guess we could ask, if we wanted to take any of this seriously, why Jefferson wanted the states to have power, and it was probably directly related to the marginalizing of certain segments of society, if people follow where I'm going here. But at this point in the game, and we look at all these narratives on all this came to be, there's reason to accept that there were actually people who set up states and wanted freedom of worship and all these other things that were doing their best. But as Jason is pointing out here, it from the get-go, that old tug-of-war of the dark side versus the white side was on. Um, to the point where, look what we're seeing now. What difference does it make any of this, whether it's a strong federal government or a strong state government, when you've got the leaders of both giving dictates as if they were dictators in a so-called representative democracy? Um, it's illegal. And it's illegal in every court, and it's illegal in every document, and nonetheless, the wearing of masks started as a dictate from a governor, which was couched as an order or a suggestion or anything he wanted to, and when they got called out on it, they pointed at the CDC, which has absolutely no power over a living man or woman because the CDC is a corporation. They do not make laws. What they make is policy. And that will play into all the legal episodes we've done. But we've come so far that even people that want to argue how all this started, at this point, what difference does it make? I mean, really, what difference does it make? George Washington was not a member of a political party during his presidency. The two-party control mechanism kicked in right after him. What is called the first party system by historians is a model of American politics used to periodize the political party system that existed in the United States between roughly 1792 and 1824. Both parties originated in national politic arenas, but quickly expanded their influence to every state seeking supporters and, of course, voters. The Federalists are said to have appealed to the business community, while the Republicans to the planters and farmers. By 1796, every state was nearly monopolized by these two parties, with party newspapers and caucuses becoming especially effective tools to mobilize voters. 
<laughs> turnabout's fair play. So that's almost the exact opposite. You know, it, we would we would view that as Republican versus Democrat today or or something. It would be the exact opposite, where Republicans are more closely thought about uh, in line with business. But uh, you know, in this episode image, I used the Who song, and I used it for good reason. It's not just because they're telling you the truth. It's not just because all that time ago when that song was written, they were calling every person hypnotized that was listening to the music. They had the balls to show up in 2001 in New York City and sing, we won't get fooled again. Well, absolutely, the vast majority of us were being fooled again. And in that song, it also talks about, you know, right now it's the right. Uh, come back tomorrow, it'll be the, the, the left. And by the way, how did those beards grow so long overnight? It's an act is what you're being told. What more can I add? George Washington in his farewell address, 1796. I have already intimated to you the danger of parties in the state, with particular reference to the founding of them on geographical discriminations. Let me now take a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirit of party generally. This spirit, unfortunately, is inseparable from our nature, having its root in the strongest passions of the human mind. It exists under different shapes in all governments, more or less stifled, controlled, or repressed. But in those of the popular form, it is seen in its greatest rankness and is truly their worst enemy. The alternate domination of one faction over another sharpened by the spirit of revenge, natural to party dissension, which in different ages and countries has perpetrated the most horrid enormities, is itself a frightful despotism. But this leads at length to a more formal and permanent despotism. The disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual, and sooner or later the chief of some prevailing faction, more able or more fortunate than his competitors, turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty." Without looking forward to an extremity of this kind, which nevertheless ought not to be entirely out of sight, the common and continual mischiefs of the spirit of party are sufficient to make it the interest and duty of a wise people to discourage and restrain it. I can't speak that eloquently, and I couldn't have defined that any better than whoever the hell you were, George. Uh, it, it's all there in black and white. And this is another example of we've all been told a lot of things about George Washington in our school books. Has anyone ever read that? Was anyone ever made aware of that? And this is the problem. This is absolutely the problem with factions and parties and uh, organized thought. I don't even know what to call it. Groups. Um, it extinguishes the the kind of everything on the table way we could live instead of there's just a couple things on the table. And every time I see this, and I think I've seen it twice before, as Jason and I have pumped these out, I think to myself, I couldn't possibly say that more elegantly or more truly. So what are we looking at here? Is this the revelation of method or was it a man actually trying to tell us some things? It really doesn't matter. It sits there where we can all get at it and it says what it says. 
Where did the concept of the Electoral College come in? Official history goes as such. Due to numerous issues causing a great many problems in the New Republic, the Continental Congress authorized the holding of a convention to meet in Philadelphia to revise the Articles of Confederation. It ran from May until September of 1787. That meeting is now called the Constitutional Convention, with its delegates called the Framers. It is here that a whole new document was drafted to replace the Articles of Confederation completely. That document is, of course, the Constitution of the United States of America. Framers, huh? We're all about to be framed. Is that what's going on here? I, I you know, where did it start? From the outset? Uh, from the outset they made up, where the first president, who wasn't the first president, uh, was he a good guy? Look at the speech he just gave us in the last bullet point. He told us the truth. Or was he somebody else? By the way, was that dude King George? See, see the problem that we're facing here when we go back to what did the founding fathers want? Nobody freaking knows. And it was off the rails so quickly that it probably doesn't even really matter. But really, this is when the Electoral College was formed, uh, 1787. So I got to ask, is this when the Liberty Bell broke or did it break after that? That's just a pun. But my point is, the Electoral College is the bane of this country's existence because we've always thought we were some kind of a democracy and we have never been from the moment the Electoral College was put in place. And this is provable. And I urge you all again, go look up how it was formed and what the state of Rhode Island did. State of Rhode Island is a strange duck. It has often marched to its own drummer, even to this day in some ways it does, although in this past year it has gotten pretty well in line with everybody else to pull off the fraud we're all experiencing. But my point is, there's no lie in it. Why would a whole state come in and say, what the hell are you doing? We'll have no part of it. But if you take the time to look, you'll ask that question, and then you'll go look at how the Electoral College works, how the people get into the Electoral College, how it functions, and you will have a first row seat to a backdoor to power, or what I consider to be just basically fraud hidden under the guise of democracy. The concept of the Electoral College is not an actual place or a single meeting of any sort. Every state would have its own vote. By not having a single meeting, the framers hoped to avoid any collusion between electors in one state with any other. There's all kinds of histories you can look up where supposed at the 1787 meetings they were trying to say things like the people are too stupid and we don't want them voting. There's a number of things you can find like that. But in terms of the Electoral College, if you look up how it works and how it's been peopled, for lack of better terms, who, who makes it up? How do they get there? How does it work? Uh, you'll know a thing. But the real tell here is how is it that we can openly have had so-called elections in this country and been told to our face that the popular vote wanted one person, but somehow this other person took the seat? One example is the forefather of those geniuses that run the TV show Pawn Stars. Harrison was sat against the so-called popular vote. Uh, though I don't pay attention, I think, I might be wrong here, that Trump was in that situation. Uh, so how is it that everyone wasn't screaming, wait a minute, are we a democracy? The majority of people said this, and you did this other thing, and there are ample examples to prove what the Electoral College is there for, and every time it's been done in public, there's your proof. The Constitution, Article 2, Section 1. The executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America.
He shall hold his office during the term of four years and, together with the vice president, chosen for the same term, be elected, as follows each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct, a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. But no senator or representative or person holding an office of trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed an elector. <laughs> Does that last line get adhered to on any level? We had a recent guest, Jason, if you recall, in one of these very old documents, I guess, doctors and what was the other clergy? Was it doctors and clergies aren't allowed to hold these positions? Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't. It was doctors and esquires. So lawyers. I think it was doctors and lawyers can't hold these positions. And in the modern era, almost every one of these guys is a lawyer, which shows you where we've come. The Twelfth Amendment. The electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for president and vice president, one of whom, at least, shall not be an inhabitant of the same state with themselves. They shall name in their ballots the person voted for as president and in distinct ballots the person voted for as vice president, and they shall make distinct lists of all persons voted for as president and of all persons voted for as vice president, and of the number of votes for each, which lists they shall sign and certify and transmit sealed to the seat of the government of the United States, directed to the president of the Senate." The President of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate and the House of Representatives, open all the certificates and the votes shall then be counted. The person having the greatest number of votes for president shall be the president, if such number be a majority of the whole number of electors appointed. And if no person have such majority, then from the persons having the highest numbers not exceeding three on the list of those voted for as president, the House of Representatives shall choose immediately, by ballot, the president. But in choosing the president, the votes shall be taken by states, the representation from each state having one vote. A quorum for this purpose shall consist of a member or members from two-thirds of the states, and a majority of all the states shall be necessary to a choice. The person having the greatest number of votes as vice president shall be the vice president, if such number be a majority of the whole number of electors appointed, and if no person have a majority, then from the two highest numbers on the list, the Senate shall choose the vice president." A quorum for the purpose shall consist of two-thirds of the whole number of senators, and a majority of the whole number shall be necessary to a choice. But no person constitutionally ineligible to the office of president shall be eligible to that of vice president to the United States. All right, so just to be perfectly clear, are we talking about human beings in the country voting here, Jason, or are we talking about a thing called the Electoral College? This would be the Electoral College. So did it jump out at anyone where the electors come from? The electors are appointed. So all over this country, they have a supposed vote where you're not voting, you're being polled. That's why they call it a polling place. And all this seriousness is put behind it when these electors that actually seat the president are being appointed. Go look up behind the scenes how it works. While you're at it, go look at where we rank in the supposed world uh, in terms of a democracy. We are so low on this list that most people won't even accept it. But there it is. And for the last point for hour one, 
to make it very, very clear, you have no right stated anywhere in the Constitution to vote for the president or vice president in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct. Any state legislature could legally decide not to allow its citizens, we the people, to choose the presidential electors, either directly or indirectly, by popular vote. The presidential electors. So basically the legislature could legally decide not to allow its citizens, citizens another word for slave right now, we the people, to choose the presidential electors. Well, I got news for everyone. For those who take the time to look up how these electors are appointed, what the Electoral College does, then you should easily be able to work out what the political party's for, but you don't really have to work that out, do you? We told you with the central bank governor from the country of England, which modeled our central bank, how they took a hand to set up the political parties. Bankers, they told you what they were going to do with them, why they were putting them in place, and how they were going to abuse the people by taking their homes, foreclosing, and putting everyone in constant debt. And they did it in plain English in 1924. I don't think we can lay this out much more plainly, Jason. Uh, people who are still stuck in the left-right paradigm, or as I like to call it, the red and blue spell, you got to drag it out back. You got to shoot it in the head. And it's painful, but it's the only way out. Once you do that, you can begin to think again. And once you can begin to think again, this will hold no power over you. You can't be married to these concepts. That's what it comes down to. No matter what it is, whether it's a conspiratorial kind of thing or a mainstream concept like the red versus the blue, if you're married to it, you're going to defend it no matter how good or bad it may be. You just can't think that way. That's rigid thinking. That's thinking in a box. You have to be able to let go of all of your past, mm, what would you call it? Addictions? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That works. Maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah, uh, I'm with you all day long. And, and to underscore it, those thoughts are not your own, as was pointed out in the very first bullet point from Mr. Bernays. They're going to tell you what to think, and they're going to do it through suggestion. And then they're going to use the natural sciences, or what we currently call alchemy, to crystallize these ideas into a reality. And so that tells us another thing. When we get up to a level where we can see a little better and aren't so obscured by these ideas that are put upon us, using black magic and natural science, misusing natural science. And what it will allow you to do is think way, way more broadly. But we just witnessed how they use the natural world because they know there's no lie there. Then they turn around and use what they've learned from nature, where there is no lie, and they apply it to this kind of perverse thing they want to do at the expense of others. Well, we can do the same thing. You see, because if we pay attention to nature, which is close to perfection as we're getting, I don't know any, anything closer to perfection, and I certainly know there's no lie there. If the more I understand nature, the less this kind of thing can take over my mind. And at the end of the day, I don't know, maybe at this point, I would say that the entirety of this game of existence right now is about the minds of men and women. There it is. That is the whole game. The whole game. Do you own your mind? Do you think your own thoughts? Or are you worried about all these dramas and fights and newsreels and political parties and entertainment and all this crap that is made up in our world to do one thing, to steal your mind? And I'll close by saying this. Government broken down 
Words have meaning, means to control your mind. Entertainment means to go in and hold your mind. What you're looking at is two very, very big popular methods in the current world used to subdue the minds of men and women, actually own them, actually pwn them. So here we are. We're entering an age where we can know things and there's no reason that we need to be held down by this nonsense any longer. But that does bring hour one of episode 283 to a close. We'll come back at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. And actually, I don't even know why I'm saying that because I know damn well this can't run on social media. Um, But we're going to get much further into these ideas. At the end of this episode, it is my hope that the most connected to political ideas person will take the time to stop and reevaluate these no-nonsense truths that are provable and verifiable and see where they want to be. Because until somebody wants to do something, it's just a waste of time, isn't it? You can lead a horse to water. I guess it's the same idea. But until they choose to drink, they're not going to drink. And that's what this episode's about. There it is, man. I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era, which in my view, whether it's artificially put upon us, we seem to be there. There it is, man. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing. Ha!